The scripture passage we'll be looking at this morning is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, I'll read all 11 verses. Please give your attention to the word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Mother's Day has been kind of bittersweet for me for quite a long time. My mother passed away when I was in my late 20s. I was very close to my mother. It was a great loss. And then my father passed away just a few years later when I was in my early 30s. It was a period of life that really shook my foundations. Never crossed my mind as a father of very young children that those children would grow up not knowing their grandparents. And I remember the shock of realizing that since both sets of my grandparents and at that point my parents had passed away, there was no generation before me anymore. It was a very shock to realize that my brothers and sisters and I were the oldest generation of my family now. And I remember that being such a feeling of insecurity. I mean, parents, they're always supposed to be there. No matter how hard life gets, parents are supposed to be there. And all of a sudden, they weren't. It's like a huge chunk of the foundation of my life had been removed and it left me fearful and insecure reminds me of Galatians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul talks about the first time that he met the leaders of the apostles in Jerusalem after his conversion and in Galatians 2 he refers to Peter and James and John who were leaders among the apostles he refers to them as pillars Pillars of the church. Key leaders upon whom the community of believers depended for strengths, protection, security. Now, of course, we're quick to say that 
the ultimate foundation of the church is Christ and Christ alone. But what Paul is showing us there is that it's appropriate in a secondary sense to look to the godly leaders in the church who serve faithfully as being pillars built upon that foundation of Christ. As they imitate Christ and we imitate them, they become pillars to the church, pillars to our lives. Earlier this week, this past week, Oakwood Church lost a pillar. The Lord Jesus took our brother and our pastor, Tom Houston, to be with him forever. And while we rejoice in the victory in Tom's life, it's also very understandable and appropriate that we feel a bit insecure. One whom we leaned on, depended upon, went to over and over for strength, is not here with us anymore. Our community of believers has lost a very important support to our worship and our service. And so, instead of going back to 1 Corinthians this morning and our study through 1 Corinthians, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in Psalm 46. It's a psalm that God's people have gone to for thousands of years for comfort and strength in times that are uncertain. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. And of course he wrote his greatest hymn based upon this psalm, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It is said that during the darkest and most dangerous periods of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther would turn to his fellow believers and say to them, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm, and then let them do their worst. Psalm 46 begins with a very strong statement of faith. God is our refuge and strength. But then it goes on to paint a very vivid visual picture of a violent, earth-shattering event. Verse 2 gives us a metaphor, an image of the earth giving way, the mountains being shaken, and to the point where they're cast into the sea. And then it talks about the sea being roiled up in massive waves, tsunamis even. Think of a great earthquake shattering the mountains. The mountains falling into the oceans and creating huge waves that bring devastation upon the earth. That's the image that the psalmist is laying before us. I think we can picture that better in our generation than any former generation because we have computer graphics, you know, and movies. And we've seen end times movies that display this kind of thing in detail that men could have never imagined and pictured before. Mountains in scripture are a symbol of things that are stable, things that don't change in life. I mean, State College changes all the time, but Mount Nittany is always there. And the unsettled seas in Scripture, consistently from beginning to end, is an image of the chaos of life under a curse, of life in this fallen world of the uncertainty and the unpredictability and the danger and the darkness. That's what the unroiling seas, the, the unsettled waters always represent in Scripture. 
And so the psalmist is saying, God is our refuge and our strength, even if the end of the world comes, even if the mountains fall into the sea and the seas destroy life as we know it. God is our refuge and our strength. This psalm is a gift to everyone who faces any kind of earth-shattering event. Whether it's on a personal level with the loss of a loved one or an illness or a loss of job or divorce, or on a global level with an economic meltdown or wars breaking out among nations, this psalm brings the same message in both cases. This psalm was undoubtedly written after the people of God in Jerusalem had experienced a spectacular deliverance from the Lord. And there are a lot of events in Old Testament history that could have been the cause or the event that led to the psalmist writing this psalm, but it's interesting how many commentators I consulted with, how many resources I read up in, that it said that, uh, that this was probably, and it makes sense with the language, the imagery in the psalm, this is probably referring to one particular deliverance of God that happened during the, the uh, reign of King Hezekiah around 700 B.C. in Judah. For centuries, the people of Israel, of course, at that time, Israel was divided into the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. God's people had been rebellious. They had rejected God. They had listened to false prophets. They had worshipped false gods. And so God was finally, his patience had run out. The cup of his wrath was full. He was ready to bring down judgment upon his own people. And so he raises up the kingdom of Assyria, which was a, a... brutal pagan nation became the up and rising world power and he brought the nation of Assyria against Israel and he wiped the northern kingdom of Israel off the planet and this same powerful nation of Assyria was now marching upon Jerusalem and they surround Jerusalem they laid siege to Jerusalem this much weaker much smaller politically militarily this small nation of Judah There was no hope, humanly speaking. And you remember from the story from 2 Kings how the commander of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, the commander of his army, stood outside the city walls of Jerusalem and blasphemed Yahweh and ridiculed the people and ridiculed the king for putting their trust in Yahweh. And you remember how Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, one of the few good ones, He put his trust in the Lord and he called upon Isaiah to bring the word of God in his crisis. And Isaiah came and said, Lord, the Lord says to you, stand firm in your faith. For not only will this army be defeated, but the king of Assyria himself will die. And so the next thing that happens in the story is that the commander of the Assyrian army sends a letter, again, mocking Hezekiah and his trust in the Lord. And so Hezekiah takes the letter and he takes it to the temple to worship God and he lays the letter before the Lord and he prays for deliverance, puts his trust fully in the Lord because he has no hope, humanly speaking. And the Lord answered through the prophet Isaiah saying, do not be afraid. And that night it says the, Lord, the angel of the Lord went through the armies of Assyria laying siege surrounding the city and killed 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrian army. King Sennacherib fled back to his capital city and there he was assassinated according to the word of God. And so what I think you have, and most commentators agree, what you have here is 
the psalmist standing on the walls of Jerusalem the next morning, looking out over what was going to be this bloody battlefield and instead seeing the armies of the enemies of God devastated, gone. And so the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. No matter what we're facing today, it was, it's not as dire a situation as Hezekiah faced, but the answer for Hezekiah, Hezekiah is the same answer for you and me. The world under a curse filled with sinners like you and me is a very scary place, a very dark place. But the Lord would say to us, do not be afraid. We live with a constant struggle against Fear of small events and fear of big events. Actually, we call it stress because it doesn't sound sinful when we call it that. Matter of fact, we often say to each other, oh man, I'm really stressed out. Stressed out at work, stressed out at home and my family, my relationship, I'm really stressed out. But that's not a confession of sin, is it? Usually we're either asking people to excuse us for not doing something or we're asking for sympathy, but we're not confessing sin or a lack of faith. Well, how can we live without fear, though, in a world like this, facing the kinds of things we have to face? In the early 90s, there was a brand of clothing that was popular, especially with athletes, called No Fear. I remember seeing the headbands that said No Fear and the T-shirts that said No Fear and as I saw that, you know, his appeal, obviously, to athletic pride and self-sufficiency. And so I would say, you know, why? <laughs> why no fear? On what basis do you not fear? It is tempting. I mean, we talked about last week how it's tempting just to look at people stressed out, bound up by fear, and say, stop it. But God never does that, we saw last week. He never just says, stop it doesn't just say don't fear. He gives us reasons. He gives us a basis for doing away with fear in our lives. And that's exactly what Psalm 46 is about. Here is how you purge fear from your heart and from your life. Why should we live without fear in uncertain and threatening times? And what Psalm 46 is trying to tell us is that the key to relieving fear and stress in our lives isn't in controlling or changing our circumstances. And that's what we tend to think it is based in. It's not in controlling or changing our circumstances. The key to avoiding fear in our lives is changing our view of God's role in our circumstances. And that's what Psalm 46 is about. The first thing the psalmist tells us is that we are not to fear, but remember God's resources. Remember God's resources. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. We will not fear because God is our refuge and our strength. He will protect and provide. He gives two kinds of help, according to the psalmist. He gives us help against external threats, attacks, sufferings, difficulties, but he also gives us internal strength. He alludes to both of them here. First of all, we are able to flee to the Lord and rest in him as our refuge and fortress when fear assaults us. 
There's lots of talk these days on campus about safe spaces. And the world doesn't know how to deal with offense and fear and attacks, and so they want to create safe spaces where they don't have to face them. But the only real safe space is in the Lord. The safe space where we don't have to fear being offended or being upset or being threatened or being put down. We are to flee to the Lord when we face the things that we fear. God is our refuge and our strength, like a fortress, a safe place. That's how we cope with fear and stress in life. We cope with it by running to the Lord. It's that simple. He will shield us from anything that we are not prepared to deal with, and he will protect us from ultimate harm. That's his promise. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. But he also, the psalmist says, gives us an inner strength to sustain us in the face of our fears. There's an allusion to this in verse 4. Again, it's a poetic metaphor. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. A stream in Jerusalem historically refers to kind of a marvel of ancient engineering. King Hezekiah, and again, it's another reason why we think this psalm is tied to Hezekiah's reign. During the reign of Hezekiah, they pulled off an amazing engineering feat that brought about the security of the city of Jerusalem because they prepared themselves for a situation just like Sennacherib's siege of Jerusalem where the enemies would surround the city. This was a very common way of warfare back in those days. You would surround the city and cut off all access to supplies and, and any means of life, and so eventually you would kill the people off if, if, without having to even bathe them because you, they wouldn't have food, water, or the basic necessities of life. And so what Hezekiah did, he had his engineers go outside the city and first of all stop up all of the streams and sources of water that the enemy would use to sustain, sustain, sustain themselves as they laid siege to the city. But then he took one spring of fresh water and he directed the water from that one spring through a tunnel that his engineers, his workers, built. And it's really, as you read about it historically, it was an amazing thing. In that day, 700 B.C., they were able to start a tunnel from inside the city of Jerusalem and take that tunnel underneath the wall and start the tunnel on the other side, outside the city. And I don't know how they did it. Somehow they met in the middle. And they created a tunnel that went under the walls of Jerusalem and allowed this spring of fresh water to bring fresh water into the city, which created Siloam the Pool of Siloam, the stream of Siloam that went through the city, and it was a source of fresh, life-giving water during any siege of the enemy. And that's what the psalmist is referring to here. This stream, from that point on, among the people of God, became an image of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, of the streams of God's grace that sustain us from within, through his spirit and through his word, so that we can endure anything that God asks us to endure in life. Remember later in Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 47, he has that weird and wonderful uh, idealistic portrayal, prophetic portrayal of a future city of God, Jerusalem. And in that perfect city, there is a stream of water running from the throne where God's king is seated. It flows through the city, providing life-giving water to the city and remember revelation 22 the very last prophecy of the last chapter in scripture 
that from the throne in the city, the future city where all things are made perfect in the new heavens and the new earth, from the throne comes a stream of living water that brings life to the rest of creation. God's grace is reliable. God's grace is constant. God's grace flows to God's people consistently. And there we find our inner strength. We are not to fear because God is our fortress who protects us from without. And he is that stream of water, living water, that provides faith and strength and endurance and perseverance from within. Secondly, the psalmist says, do not fear, but remember God's presence. Remember God's resources, but also remember God's presence with you. He says, God is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The word very present in Hebrew, very present help, means readily found or well proved. You can count on him being there. In every circumstance, you are never alone if you are the Lord's. You're never alone. That doesn't mean it doesn't feel like that much of the time. Matter of fact, there are many psalms are given to us to express that natural feeling that we have as believers. As Psalm 10 puts it, why, O Lord, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But that psalm and all the rest of Scripture calls upon us to believe God's promise that even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him, even when we don't see evidence of it, his presence is with us because he has promised it will be and he is faithful to his promise. He's always with his people. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's interesting. There's two aspects of God's character and his work that are referred to in that verse 5. First, the first phrase points us to God's power and his justice. He is the Lord of hosts. The sovereign Lord who has all power to do all that he pleases. He is the Lord of hosts. The word host means armies. All the armies, the heavenly armies, are at his beck and call. He is with us and he is the Lord of hosts. And it only took one angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians. What could a host of angels do? And the second phrase points us to God's mercy. This God who is with us is the God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who made covenant promises, the God who entered into a bond with people by grace alone and promised them that they would be his people forever and that he would provide the means by which their sins would be forgiven and they would be reconciled to him. He is a covenant God who has bound himself in a covenant to us and he will be faithful to his promises. He is the God of Jacob. This psalm shouts the phrase that is the epitome of the covenant of grace, which is God with us, Emmanuel. It's a theme of God's covenant throughout Scripture. God is with his people, those whom he has bound himself in the covenant of grace. He is with us. I know that that sounds bigoted. I know that it sounds arrogant. I know that it's offensive in the ears of the people around us, but we have to say that God is on our side. 
We are his people, not because of anything in us, but because he has chosen us to be on his side. He is with us, and that is our hope. And so when fear comes against us, it is God with us, the Emmanuel promise, that enables us to endure. As the Apostle Paul would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then thirdly, the psalmist says, do not fear, but remember the future. Kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? Remember the future. But because God's word gives us promises for the future, we're actually able to do that. As we remember the promises of God, we're actually remembering the future. In verse 5, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. There's always a morning after night for the people of God. This, again, I think, points to the deliverance that God gave to his people under Hezekiah when they were threatened by the Assyrians. God will help her when the morning dawns. Sounds very similar to what it says in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, as part of retelling of that history. It says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. God will help her in the morning, God will provide the victory whatever that victory is that we need through Christ. Look at verse 9. Very graphic picture there. He makes the war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the old uh, Civil War movies, Gettysburg, or maybe Henry V, the great movie. They have a great scene in that movie, Henry V, of the battlefield after the war is over. Very solemn, somber, quiet, lengthy scene that just kind of pans across the battlefield and there's broken chariots, broken spears, broken bows and arrows, bodies everywhere and they're piling up all the broken weapons and chariots and burning them with fire. That's the image that the psalmist is laying before. Come and see how the Lord has brought desolations upon the earth desolations upon the enemies of God and his kingdom and his people. We will have our nights of affliction, long nights of affliction filled with temptations to fear. We will face those nights that test our faith. But for the believer, joy always comes in the morning and his mercies are new every morning. There will always be a morning for the child of God. There will always be a dawn when the light drives away the darkness. The psalmist says he makes wars cease. And so there's an apocalyptic element to this psalm where he's looking not to God's deliverance in the past only, but to God's deliverance in the future, his ultimate deliverance, when he will bring all wars to an end, all opposition to an end, not by negotiation, but by conquest. So this psalm looks ahead to that final victory at the end of time when Messiah would come and Messiah would defeat the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people and bring lasting eternal peace. 
Verse 10 is often taken out of context. A very familiar verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We often quote that verse to each other to give comfort, you know, to, a call to each other to meditate upon who God is. And in a secondary sense, I suppose that's not inappropriate, but that's not, that's taking it out of context. That's not what's being said here. This is not being spoken to the people of God. This is something that God is saying to his enemies. He's saying, be still. I will be exalted. Lay down your arms. Surrender. Stop. Shut up. Victory has come. And that day is a day that is coming for us. And it helps us to endure as we remember the future. God's resources, God's presence, and God's promises for the future, those are the resources, those are the things that we remember, those are the things we flee to, those are the things that enable us to drive fear from our hearts and our minds. But we can't see any of those promises. There's nothing physical we can look at when we talk about God's resources and God's presence and God's promises. We still live by faith and not by sight. So how do we know that these things are real? How do we know that these promises are true? How do we know that these resources are there for us? How do we know? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of the Emmanuel. The one who became God with us. Who dwelt in our midst. Who added to his divine nature as the eternal son of God, a perfect human nature, and lived among us, and then went to the cross and died on the cross in our place and bore the wrath of God that all of our sins deserved, paid for them in full, and died for us and then was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. That's how we know that God's resources and God's presence and God's victory in the future are real and certain and assured. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, the one promised by the prophet Isaiah, the Son of God, born of a virgin. Jesus Christ is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see his glory. And Jesus Christ is the one who became man and died on the cross and rose from the dead to take away our greatest fear, the fear of all fears, which is the fear of judgment before a holy God and the fear of death. He's taken it away for his people. In 1 John 4, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love, the perfect love of the cross of Jesus Christ, drives away fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is our strength and our protection. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. Remember when the disciples were about to die on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a violent storm that must have felt much like what Psalm 46 describes with the rising waves about ready to crush them. Remember, they were crying out and Jesus said to the wind and the waves, Peace, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, I will be exalted. That's what Jesus said to the wind and the waves and the storm stopped immediately. And just like the psalm says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. Jesus Christ is risen and Jesus Christ is Lord of all. 
That means he's Lord of all your circumstances. He's Lord of all your trials. He's Lord of all your darkness. He's Lord of death and judgment. He's Lord of over everything that makes you afraid or stressed. And he allows us to suffer. He allows us to be deprived of things and people that we love. He does this. He removes pillars from our lives to teach us that he is our ultimate refuge and our strength. And he is enough. If everyone and everything else is taken away, he is enough. More than enough. He is our refuge, but he's also our inner strength. In John chapter 4, Jesus called himself living water. And he said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Just like Siloam in Jerusalem. A river of grace is always available to us. Because Christ is always with us. The grace of Christ gives us an inner strength that the world can't understand. And as many have said, I hope that I die half as well as Tom Houston died. Because in the last few months of his life, I saw an inner strength and a joy in him that will be an inspiration to me until it's my time to go. Tom wanted to stay badly, but he didn't fear death. And there's a big part of him that longed for the release and the freedom and the joy of seeing his Savior. And that joy was profound in him until the last day I saw him. And that joy is available to all of us. It's not because Tom was such a great saint, although he was, by God's grace, but it's because he, he knew where grace comes from. He drew upon that river of grace every day. It produced in him a strength that was supernatural to face something that could, should cause all of us to quake in our boots. That grace is available to all who will come to Christ. And thirdly, Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, is the one who will be exalted and we will share in his exaltation. Let me help you remember the future by turning to 1 Corinthians 15. I'll begin reading in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world.
This past week, I have lost a pillar in my life. Oakwood Church has lost a pillar. But Psalm 75, verse 3, the Lord says to us, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. And sometimes he removes them so that we will be reminded that he is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in trouble, and he will be exalted, and we shall see his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 46. I know that I echo the the thankfulness and praise of saints for a thousand generations. Lord, we are so thankful that the promises of Jesus Christ are true, and he proved it by conquering death and ascending to his throne at your right hand. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our strength. He is our refuge. Thank you for opening our eyes to see it, to know it, and to revel in it today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.